The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. The 2022 midterm election cycle has all of the excitement and volatility of a presidential election year. Momentum has been shifting from one party to another, and voters are considering issues they have not grappled with in 40 or 50 years, like inflation and abortion, as well as high crime rates, record migrant border crossings, and escalating energy prices. Typically, the midterms are primarily referendums on the president and the party in charge, and they will be this year too, but it seems that the former president, Donald Trump, is also playing a major role in the outcome of this year's midterm election. In this podcast, we are going to dig into the uniqueness of the 2022 midterm elections. I'm Susan Olson, Vice President of Government Relations at Natixis Investment Managers. With me today to help provide an insider's view into D.C. politics is Bob Marsh. Bob is a principal of a D.C. boutique lobbying firm, OBC, and has spent his career in politics. Prior to joining OBC in 2003, he served in the George W. Bush White House as Special Assistant for Legislative Affairs. He started his career as an elected official in the Massachusetts State House, managed several political campaigns, including Mitt Romney's first campaign for a Massachusetts Senate seat in 1994, and went on to work for several Fortune 500 companies as Government Affairs Director. Bob, thanks so much for joining us again. We've done quite a few of these. I enjoy it, Susan. We're thrilled to have you here to discuss a very exciting and rather complex midterm election cycle. First, let's tackle momentum. Bob, why has momentum from one party to another shifted so much this year? At the beginning of 2022 and through the spring, it seemed the Republicans were going to slide into a midterm election victory and easily take back the House and the Senate since approval for President Biden was low, inflation and energy prices were high, and issues like the baby formula shortage and a COVID surge hanging over the administration's head. Then, in the summer, momentum slowly started to shift to the Democrats and approval ratings for the president were improving. But since Labor Day, it's hard to tell who has the momentum. Bob, what insights can you give us on this shifting momentum phenomena? Well, I I think during an election year, which this is, and again, it's the off year in terms of the presidential race. But uh, in the election year, there's always sort of ebbs and flows. And it's also also the party trying to control the messaging at any time. Could be the Republican Party. In this case, the Democrats have been able to control it because they have the presidency. Um, I do think the abortion decision that came out of the Supreme Court uh, in late spring, early summer uh, was um, somewhat of a game changer politically for them. But now it's sort of settled out a little bit. The messages have got out. And with the the uh, rebound, frankly, of gas prices and the costs, uh, inflation not going to anywhere. And as a matter of fact, to some per- uh, perception there's going to be a recession. Then that all kinds of uh, takes back the momentum and gives it back to the Republicans. Also, as an election comes up, people start focusing more on elections. And so they, it's less emotional. And then it becomes thought, more of a thoughtful process for more voters in terms of what the whole balance of the equation is. And as always, I think economics really sort of drive the message. And the economic uh, forecast right now is not particularly good. And I think that hurts uh, the incumbent party, in this case, the Democrats. What about immigration and crime? 
Well, I think both those issues drive certain um, uh, people to the polls and and drive them in terms of getting their votes. Um, immigration, in particular, in the states, the border states, where it's really ramped up a lot, and where the the original policy that Biden put out was very progressive. And now it's come to the point where the, there's been such an influx and a lot of those territories can't take it. Those areas can't take it. I think that's really impacted in those areas. And then you saw what the Republican governors have done to move the, the messaging into other states. And that's more sort of a uh, I, I don't really like the way it's done, but that's more of a signal to say, look, if you're going to embrace these progressive policies, you got to help pay the price for that, too. Uh, not necessarily something that I feel is a good thing to do, but on the other hand, it sort of um, worked on it. Crime is a, is a huge thing, and I think the crime is sort of a, a hangover from the days of uh, the last uh, months of Trump administration and when I went on there, and I think it's sort of become a symptom uh, of the problem. And uh, of course, I think crime statistics always go up when people are struggling to come back uh, in a working economy. It was sort of quieter during COVID because everybody was managing that kind of thing. And now it's sort of come back. So that's a significant thing. And it ha- and it's particularly significant in urban areas and areas where the inequality is much more uh, uh, pronounced. Those are several issues. And Um, These will all factor very heavily into voters' choices in November. How well do you think the Democrats are messaging their fixes for the kitchen table issues like inflation, energy, crime, even immigration? And on the other side, how well do you think the Republicans are addressing the issue of abortion rights? Well, see, so I think that we got to think of a couple things here. One is, who are you messaging to? That's probably the most important one because there's a basically a, a split in our population now. There's a certain amount of people who never vote Democratic or won't vote for a more a moderate view, and there's certain people who won't, won't vote for a conservative view. So what, what each uh, campaign does and what each party does is try to drive the vote in the certain spots where they're looking at those targeted seats. So in some cases, the abortion issue works. In some cases, it doesn't. In some cases, the crime issue works. And in some cases, it doesn't. So the general overall messaging of the leaders of the party has to stick with the general overall concerns that the the general population has. And I think it's really the economy now, and I think it's that's taking hold. I, I think the Democratic Party is going to drive the issues to make the, the Republican Party viewed as more um, not uh, mainstream. And so that's issues of abortion or inequality, racism, that kind of thing. And and some of the language the Republican uh, leaders have used, you know, help them, allow them to do that. But I think overall, overall, the polling is showing that that those numbers on those particular issues aren't quite as large as inflation, the economy, and um, other kinds of things like that. So, so going back though to that to that question, of, you know, th- those are the top issues: inflation, energy. Do you think the Democrats are getting their message through on how they're going to fix them? Um, no, I, I don't. But I, I, but I don't think the Republicans are offering anything either. So I mean, and so that's been the the. But the Republicans don't have to, because they're not in control. 
And I think it's hard for a president to turn the corner when all this has happened um, before COVID and that kind of thing, and with the Fed continuing to increase rates. Those, those kinds of things that really make it really hard for anybody, uh, and this, in this case, a Democratic president who proposed lots of spending that most people feel like enhanced the problem of inflation, um, to message that. Um, I guess, again, I go back to the point of this is sort of a numbers game. So can the Democratic Party control the House or can they control the Senate? And they have to do it within a few seats. Uh, my guess is right now, and we'll get into this, but my guess is right now, as of this date, they're not going to control the, 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 the House will flip um, by maybe 20, 25 seats. And then uh, the, the, the Senate's going to be a dead heat. And it may even go beyond the election because in Georgia you have to have that uh, majority. The former president is playing an outsized role in this year's election, including endorsing several candidates through the primaries. First of all, why is that? And if the Republicans win the House or the Senate, will that impact the congressional agenda, specifically in the House, where he has more supporters? So there's a couple things there. One is um, the president has played an outside role in endorsing candidates in primaries. Um, and he did it because largely a lot of the Republican Party is now a Trump party. Um, more of the, uh, the traditional Republicans have, have left the party, gone independent, or just sort of decide to make their votes their own way. But Trump does drive a certain amount. Th where that helps and hurts is it helps get vote out your base vote out, and that's why you see a lot of Republicans in the House um, embrace that because there's just only a certain amount of people who are going to vote in any kind of election, and particularly in a non-presidential race. So that's why they embrace that. They also embrace it because they need to raise money through it. They need to get people uh, to the polls and so forth. The Senate's a little different because the Senate becomes a little bit more of a personality contest in a congressional seat. The individual candidate can basically touch a lot of voters and, and impact it that way. And the incumbents can d definitely do that. The Senate's harder to do. So that's where the personalities come in. And that's where I think you've seen the schism in the Republican Party in regards to Mitch McConnell and the president and Mitch McConnell embracing certain kinds of candidates and the president pushing other kinds of candidates or President Trump in this case. And that's where the, the fights happen. And that's why I think... In, in the Senate, I don't think the president's been helpful. Um, in the House, I could make the case that he has been helpful to some degree there for them in terms of garnering the kinds of support they need. And that's why they've embraced him so much. I also think in the House, uh, the if you notice the Democrats are using Trump as an issue, the January 6th commission has some serious uh, issues around it, obviously, but on the other hand, now it's sort of be driven as an election issue. So they're using Trump's unfitness for office and therefore the Republican Party's unfitness for office and the abortion issue to drive their message. While the Republicans have the message of the economy, look what your, your, your milk has cost, look what uh, the gallon of gas has cost, look what's going on, look at all the problems that we have in crime, look at all the problems that people aren't working, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So that is is sort of the messaging that's going on. Um, and so how does Trump play? I think it's sort of a mixed bag for Republicans, and I think it's a bigger issue coming out of the elections next year 
because the, the makeup of a legislative body will will um, fully impact what that legislative body can do in an agenda. And if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker and has a smaller majority but still has a, a, a good percentage of conservative, you know, conservative Trump-like candidates that got elected, then he's going to have a harder time controlling the message and getting things through. So do you think they'll try to block certain bills or do you think they'll try to start certain bills like, for example, impeachment or defund the FBI? Do you think they'll do radical? I think there'll be some messaging on that. I'm not as convinced on the impeachment stuff. Um, I think there will be investigations of Hunter Biden and so forth. I think they've already signaled that. I think the bigger issue, and I think on foreign policy, I think there'll be sort of a balance there. I think actually uh, in regards to China and the Ukraine, I think there's going to be some unity between Democrats and Republicans. It's not total unity, but some unity. Uh, they'll be criticizing the Biden administration on that, but there'll be some unity on that. But I think the biggest schism will be spending. So that's where it's sort of the, rep, the, 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 the rubber meets the road. Uh, so issues like debt limit uh, votes and um, uh, how uh, tax policies is dealt with and regulations and all that kind of thing. That will be the big fight. And I don't know how you're going to bridge the gap between what Biden's been promoting, uh, whether it's in regards to uh, environmental policies or whatever the case may be, and what the Republicans are, are going to want to push. And I think... When I've talked to people, the biggest thing that they're watching in the Senate is how Mitch McConnell plays with that. So if the Republicans take the Senate, Mitch McConnell becomes leader. A lot of the conservatives are going to really watch how Mitch McConnell plays ball with Biden. And if he plays too much ball with Biden, they won't like that. And they think McCarthy's not going to be able to do that. So I get asked this question a lot. Let's just assume that the Republicans win the House. So already we have you know, a lame duck administration because we have a Democrat in the White House. So does it really make a difference whether the Republicans win the Senate if it's already going to be a lame duck Congress anyway? Yeah, it does. Um, well, I mean, it, it does in January. And a lame duck Congress, well, depending on what, you, if a lame Congress between November and January, uh, th- there'll be some things that are done just to get it done. Because even, even the most power-hungry members of Congress want to get some of the stuff completely through. If the Republicans control the Senate, the big deal on that is nominations. Judicial. Judicial and other kinds of nominations, whether it's regulatory position. I think there will be some turnover in the cabinet because I think a lot of people will be starting looking for their next um, role. Uh, and then I also think the, the bigger issue will be in regards to just setting the agenda in the, in the Senate. And I think the Speaker, if it's McCarthy, will be able to pressure the Republicans in the Senate to take up some of their legislation. And I think you probably focus more on energy and taxes. Um, whether or not the president will embrace that stuff, I, I, I doubt it. He'll still have veto power. In both branches, because it's going to be hard to get two thirds majority. It's, nobody's nobody's looking at that kind of uh, numbers. So, um, so the big thing, the two big things are nominations and just setting the agenda. Setting the agenda, economic policy could be, but it's really hard to see how a president's going to sign on to anything that both McCarthy and McConnell embrace. Uh, but there may be some forced things that has to happen. 
Um, defense policy might be sort of an area, again, where people will agree. Foreign policy, we always have crises that come up. Um, there's always, you know, unfortunately, there's always another hurricane um, or there's always another storm or there's always something or another that people have to agree on spending. And that's when members of Congress are able to sort of put their pieces of uh, the pie together. And then, of course, you have the big enchilada, which is you start the presidential season right away, the day after the next uh, election in November. And so the big question is, who who are the candidates, obviously? Does the president run again? That becomes a huge issue in regards to agenda setting, because if he determines in June or July of next year that he's not going to run again, then it's all open season. I think you'll be able to signal that by seeing what a lot of the potential Democratic candidates are doing between November and the time when the president has to decide on whether he wants to run for re-election or not. Okay, so let's just open that up a little more. So obviously the big question on Americans' minds is what you said. Who's going to run in 2024? Um, I think today, if all things being equal, of course, it's just today, that it would probably be a Biden-Trump matchup again. But what happens if Biden doesn't run again? You said that you alluded to some of the cabinet members who might be quitting to start the next phase of their career. You think some of those cabinet members will throw their hat in the ring? Um who do you who do you think on the Democrat well, side? Well, I think it's tough to know, but I, I I definitely think the Secretary of Transportation has been one. Pete Buttigieg, Buttig- yeah, who's been talked about because he ran before and actually did fairly well. Um, there's been talk of of um, I don't know if there's any other cabinet members per se, um, but there's been talk about a bunch of different senators, whether it's Elizabeth Warren or, or maybe a governor here or two with that kind of stuff. So there's other people, and then there's also the vice president. So. And, and she certainly has a leg up on people just by her presence. Um, so those are all parts of it. But I think she has she definitely has to wait to just hold her cards until the, 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 the boss decides whether or not he's going to go. And I think the real question is we haven't had a circumstance like this where the president has had so much pressure on him within the party to make that decision earlier than not. Uh, and because of his un- unpopular uh, ratings and because of other issues, a question about whether he can run. On the Republican side, I'm not sure it's clear that Trump is going to be the nominee. Um, I think most people think it is, and I think it, I would say he'd be obviously the front runner. But I think there's other things that are going on, and I don't think his popularity in, in the party is sacrosanct. Um, certain parts of it are. But I don't think it's it's totally sacrosanct anymore. And I do think some of the hearings, some of his reactions, some of the stuff that's going on in regards to the various um, uh, criminal, you know, stuff that's going on or civil cases, whatever the case, that's all sort of impacted his ability. And I think a lot of people want might want to look elsewhere. And that so the, it depends on how that plays. All right. So. And when I say a lot of people, it's not the majority of the Republican Party that's right now that's active going to look elsewhere because I think they're still with Trump. But again, it's a primary process. And so it sort of, you know, works its way through the process. So we've been calling one faction of the Republican Party the Trump, the Trump Republicans. And they're growing. You know, there's 
indications from uh, polls that the cons- that that you know far right conservative sect might grow um, after the midterm elections. But if Trump does not run in 2024, do you think that that type of party that he has created stays, or do you think that the Republican Party starts going back to its roots? Well, I don't think it's ever going to go back to its roots from the past, not not with the current makeup that it is right now. Um, it could, over time, uh, depending on what the Democrats come up with in terms of the candidates they do. And, I, you know, but I do think that they're um, – I would say if Trump doesn't run, there'll be a certain segment of his vote that won't vote. They'll be just this. They'll, and my guess is Trump will blame it on all the the baggage that he's had to carry from various you know problems that that have been caused by the Democrats and others, and so um, that may control down some of his vote in the Republican uh, that won't come out and vote at all. They'll just vote for somebody else. I don't know who that would be. Uh, what kind of candidate the Republican Party comes up with after that, I don't know. It, that candidate's going to have to have a certain amount of Donald Trump in them or sort of attitude in them because I think that's going to be appealing to a general po- population. And it's going to have to be – I think it's going to have to be an outside Washington kind of character because, again, that's still the, the appeal that a lot of Trump has. Is, is When I talk to people, it's all about – you know, yeah, he's not a he's not a Washington guy, and that's why they hate him and blah 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 that kind of stuff. And I, I get that. I mean, I think if you look at the general frustration that people have with what's going on in Washington D.C., it's you know, it's nobody really wants to embrace uh, what's going on there right now. So we hear a lot of governors' names thrown around on the Republican side. Obviously, Ron DeSantis, Larry Hogan, uh, Charlie Baker um, from Massachusetts, even former Governor Nikki Haley. Do you think? I don't think any of the more mod. I, I don't. Yeah, because I, I, I don't think they're going to get in. I, I, first of all, you got to raise the money, yeah. and unless they have big funders, and some of the more moderate, like like for instance, Liz Cheney. Don't forget, she'll probably end up running. Okay. She's going to have some money behind her. She already does. Uh, I think that she's more of a messaging component, and I don't mean to, to uh, dismiss her because I think she's she will be out there. But my guess is that's probably what she's going to do. Um, I think DeSantis does run. I don't know if he runs if Trump's still in. And the, the question about Trump is always interesting because he doesn't have to decide for a while. He still commands the microphone. He still commands the stage. Um, I always get a kick out of the media saying what a you know terrible person he is. Meanwhile, they all they only talk about him, you know, and because he's a ratings uh, genius for them. So, um, so this, I guess back to that. It's 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 going to be interesting to see. I can't really predict the Republican field yet. There's a lot of Senate as every as a friend of mine used to say about the U.S. Senate. Um, Every time a senator looks in the mirror, they see the next president of the United States. It yeah. doesn't matter who the hell is. That's a and, great and, you know, joke. So, I mean, but. Okay, well, that being said, you know, you said you don't think Trump's going to be um, 2024. But does he have Does he have the ability to watch somebody else? No, it's the real, that's the real conundrum is, is that he will still fill the stage somehow. And that's the real problem for the, whatever the Republican candidates are. Um, cause he's still going to dominate it. 
um, until the point where he can't be president anymore, like he doesn't have a chance at the nomination. That may be the convention. So we're looking at, you know, two years from last August. So, you know. Okay, so let's pivot back to Biden. So that, you know, again, the question on people's minds is, is he going to run as well? He says he absolutely is. And of course, if Trump does run, Biden thinks he's the only one that can beat him. And actually, you know, back in 2020, when the Democrats had to finally throw their weight behind someone, Biden was not their first pick. But it seemed that Biden was the only one who could beat Trump, which he did. So um, if Biden doesn't run, though, then what happens to Congress? What happens to legislative action? Um, and how does it affect the next two-year presidential cycle? Well, so it's interesting. So there's a couple of uh, portions of that. That's presuming the Republicans control at least one branch of the Congress, which I happen to think is going to happen. Um, and he decides not to run. Then it's all free-for-all on what kind of policies come out, because then you got a lot of other uh candidates trying to message themselves in the legislative process. So it's, 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 it's a big stalemate. What does that mean for the generalized economy? I don't know. But, uh, but I also would say this. Republicans, if they take control of one branch, are going to have to do more than just point fingers at people, um, I think. And they're going to have to push for policies. They're going to have to push for policies that they believe will bring back the economy, because I still think that will be the issue, unless there's some national security risk beyond what we've already seen uh, going on. Um, and so, uh, and it may be that they just message on previous Republican policy kinds of things. But um, so, so back to that, if Biden decides not to run and say it's the middle of next year, he that means he's got to get things done in the first six months while he still has the power of the incumbency. Um, and that means it's a, it's a front-loaded agenda. Remember, the Iowa, prime, uh, Iowa caucuses are probably, I don't even know if they're set, but my guess is they're a year from December. February. From February. From okay. February. But Maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. but basically everything's going to shut down pretty much after that. And then, then we're in the crazy season again. So When are we not in the crazy season, Bob? <laughs> just gets crazy in different degrees. Um, So to wrap up our discussion, uh, as someone like you who has dedicated his life to politics and government, share with us why our right to vote and implementing that right by going to the polls on Election Day and actually casting our vote is so crucial to our democracy. Well, it, it, again, a couple points to that. You no longer have to go on Election Day. I mean, there's so many other avenues now uh, that are, are afforded to people. And for me, one of the encouraging things about two years ago was so many people took the, uh, the opportunity to go vote. And I thought, in 2018. I thought that was really, really important. Um, and the other thing about this sort of election fraud discussion that's gone on now for two years is um, it still shows how close some states really are. So your every vote impacts that. So if you're just looking at a presidential race, it's important. If you're looking at a congressional race, it's important. If you're looking at a Senate race, for instance, there's a lot of perspective that in Georgia this year, where it wouldn't be one of the swing seats probably, whether the Senate stays D or goes Republican, we could we could be looking at an, a, um, an extra election in, in December there or a, another a runoff 
because it's going to be so close. So it really, really does matter. And, and I would also tell people that it really matters on the state level, too, because a lot of these decisions, whether it's abortion or lots of other things, are decided on state le- le- legislative politics now, even more than they are on the federal level. And I saw a statistic from uh, one of the pollsters that said that the Republicans lost control of the House in 2020 by collectively 31,000 votes. Well, Bob, I love these conversations. Um, You give such great insight. You make it exciting. You can unwrap it for us so we can kind of understand the meat of what's going on with D.C. politics, especially the elections. So, Bob, thanks so much for your insights. The Natixis Government Relations Team strives to give our listeners a behind-the-scenes look into the ever-changing world of D.C. politics, and you are always the perfect person to take these issues apart and tell us what we really need to know. And thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can always find more information on policy issues and their potential market implications at the public policy section of our website, im.natixis.com. Bob, thanks so much. Thank you. Important information. For listeners outside the United States, Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult im.natixis.com slash intel slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC is located at 888 Boylston Street, Suite 800, Boston, Massachusetts, 02199, at tracks, 5036418-1, expiration date, June 30, 2023, Pod 42 October 2022.